Marcus Marcus controls the power and wealth of a vast military and religious empire. Yet one horrific crime threatens to destroy everything in his world. Arrowed by drugs and grief, Marcus Marcus begins a trans-dimensional journey that will ultimately force him to confront a dark and devastating truth. Chapter 61 Resolutions As I waited for the words to form, I closed my eyes, and my mind became momentarily cluttered with thoughts and connections and bursts of awareness that deepened my sense of fragility and brevity. For even as I stood in a wolf craft, orbiting in the vacuum of space, wondering what words to speak to those before me. I experienced a vision of all that was going on in my kingdom and far beyond. I knew that deep in the temple of the Queen of the Universe, blood congealed on the sacred black and white feathers of the decapitated swan, Nameless, while Augur, Gallius and Security Chief Estella struggled through shock and fear to bring reassurance to the residents of my estate. In the bunkers of my rivals, military and political chiefs pondered the communications blackout affecting my territory and discussed options as satellites swung in their courses around the planet, collecting and transmitting shoals of data. Beyond those mechanical eyes sped minute and frozen shards of charred bone and flesh, the remains of the visible earthers whose flight to freedom had ended in fire and screams. Far past all this grief and calculation, the cold black cloak of space covered everything. Stars and planets and even asteroids pitted with mining equipment and graveyards. It covered equally the dilettantes on cruise liners and the troopers on battleships. It enveloped the three zones of humanity, the former war zone, the hostile fire nebula, and the territories of the abominations that stretched out endlessly beyond the borders of human civilization. Space was contemptuous of and indifferent to all mortal concerns. Yet equally, the fabric of his cloak allowed the transportation of people, cultures and goods. Even vast galaxy-spanning distances could be travelled through the folds and creases of hyperspace. And somewhere in all that black eternity, the lost children of the mother and queen of the universe lay hidden. And I understood that all the buzz and noise of millennia of sage and family power failed to fill one single beat of the song sung by the lost children of the Queen of the Universe, the mother of all that is. Yet I also knew that every brief and fragile beat is a thing of beauty and value. How else could we live 
without the individual beats that keep the heart alive and the blood moving. I opened my eyes and looked at the gathering before me. As if of their own volition, my bloody hands clapped together and my doubts vanished in the echo. When I spoke, it was not to make a pretty or inspiring speech, but rather to leave no doubt that I had considered my options and had come to conclusions that would not be contradicted. An augur cursed one of my ships, I began, as it made ready to depart from Algalma. Now that ship and its crew are lost to us. Throughout history, it has been the case that across all sage and territory, augurs have the right to use curses without fear of punishment. Likewise, though, there is an ancient tradition that sage and troops have the right to crucify any who endanger their lives. I resolve this paradox thus. Augurs will retain all their rights on my territory. However, Algalma exterior and Algalma interior will no longer be sage in territory. Forthwith, it will be a sovereign, independent and allied territory. Its first ruler being Admiral Jack. There are two conditions, however. Firstly, Algalma sovereignty is dependent on its remaining true to the House of Sajin. If loyalty should cease, then so too will Algalma's independence. Secondly, while augurs will be obliged to obey the rules as they are set down by the sovereign rulers of Algalma, those rulers will not have the authority to execute any augur unless they have my permission. In this case, I have chosen to let Bramlant live. He will be returned to the comfort and support of his brother Augurs. A greater threat is the death of Nameless a sacred creature worshipped and revered in hovels and mansions alike. Though divine in nature, its mortal form chose to live in my estate under the dutiful and pious care of the blessed augurs. It died under their care, and it was my blade that severed its head from its neck. What does this mean for the house of Sajin and the order of augurs? Are we damned? Have the gods cursed us? Certainly, that will be the opinion of our enemies. But I repeat, no one alive can guess the thoughts and dreams of the divinities. We can only choose how to act. I have chosen how we will interpret this death. The swan lived among us to keep us aware of the constant presence of the gods and goddesses. To help us in this task, it blurred our ability to translate the future, and we humbly accepted this. Having achieved its task, the swan left us, but not in a meek way. It chose to die on the blade of my sword, 
and in doing so, it consecrated my reign with its holy blood. Furthermore, its death has once more allowed the augurs to deduce events that are yet to be. There will be a funeral and a commemoration for Nameless. But we will not mourn, we will celebrate and draw courage and strength from the creature's self-sacrifice. And in acknowledgement of the beneficence of the creature, I here now order a new coat of arms for the House of Sajin. My family's crest shall now be a black and white swan on a field of red. This emblem will be displayed on all buildings, vehicles and persons who are involved in the governance of my lands. It will be displayed in courthouses, schools, universities, hospitals. It will be displayed by the military and above the markets of traders who benefit from my rule. Any act of violence or disrespect to this symbol will be treated as an attack on the House of Sajin, its loyal augurs and that sacred creature nameless who now resides in divine earth watching over our interests. Attacks will be punishable by death. Now, my loyal friends, let us sit down and discuss the practicalities. The discussion was quickly concluded. 25 minutes later, there was only Ifdek and I remaining in the room. I was filled with a sudden urge to embrace the man. My vizier smiled and reached out his hand. I think... That went well, Mr. Marcus. Will it work? Oh yes, Mr. Marcus. If anybody causes problems, have them exiled or killed. It worked for my father, I said. I took Ifdek's hand in mine. I fell exhausted to the bone, but in a good way, like an athlete who had just broken a record. It did indeed. Your Excellency. I did not correct my vizier. Ifdek left. Some crew members came in to begin cleaning the room. One of them carried a plastic wrapped package for me, much needed clean clothes. Another offered to show me the cabin that had been put aside for me. Thank you, officer, I said, but I'd like some time to myself. Is the cabin easy to find? Yes, Your Excellency. I can show you on the screen here. I stood beside the young man as he called up a simple map of the interior of the Wolvecraft. My cabin was just a little past Flight Commander Talab's. I thanked the officer and let him carry on with his duties. I examined the map for a couple of minutes, then stepped into the corridor. The Wolvecraft was a compact ship and easy enough to find one's way around. I was exhausted, but in a restless way and decided not to go to my cabin straight away. Instead, I wandered the ship, acknowledging the salutes of crew members, but not engaging in any conversation. I made my way to the medical bay, but only stayed a moment. Sternbridge sat beside Talav's bed. I left quietly before he noticed me. I was finally ready to rest. As I made my way back up to the cabin prepared for me, I passed Talav's quarters. I stood outside her door, 
holding the package of clean clothes. I pushed her door. It was unlocked. I stepped in. I only intended to stay a moment, but exhaustion buckled my legs and I fell into her narrow bed. Fatigue was beginning to affect my mood too. I felt empty and listless. I sat up, shook my head, flicked on a little screen by her bed, began flipping through channels. To my surprise, I discovered that my decisions were already making the news. One channel was hooked up to the space station I had left so suddenly. On screen, Ifdex's deadliest propagandist chatted and smiled. Oh yes, Joy Hardiman said, her eyes wide and guileless. It was a great shock. Freaky too. How so? Well, the thing is, His Excellency had this dream just after he arrived on the space station. That's why he left so suddenly. He dreamt that the sacred swan was flying upwards on a blade of steel. Go figure. Anyway, next thing, the news came through that Nameless had died and had spilled his holy blood on His Excellency's sword. The sword he got into all sorts of fights with when he was a demos guard, like, oh, yonks ago. So now the Sajan family has been blessed with holy blood. Wow, how cool is that? Oh yeah, look, I've got a sticker here with a new Sajan emblem. I've put it on this balloon. I hope that's not disrespectful. I wouldn't want to be killed or exiled or whatever. Yeah, the party's still going on but in a chilled kind of way. It's still fun. His Excellency says we need to be respectful, but the burial ceremony won't be held till next week. Need the time to organise it. Oh yeah, people are coming from all over the place. Who? Well, the other Infeska princes, of course. Yes, Narn has an invite. And there'll be all sorts of celebs from the three zones of humanity. Pop stars, tyrants, Writers, generals, porn stars, all the movers and shakers should be brilliant. Oh, the amnesty. I don't think that's controversial. It's just like, since we are having a funeral for Nameless, then His Excellency and the augurs figured it would be okay to allow people to publicly mourn any loved ones that, you know, had been a teensy bit problematic when they were alive. So yeah, families of rebels, Christianistas, heretics, traitors and whatnots will be allowed to hold their memorials as well. Which is pretty cool, I think. Yeah, I think His Excellency will be having a quiet ceremony for his departed wife, Numa. Which is pretty neat when you figure that she gets like 10 out of 10 on the controversy scales. But you know, it's been two and a half decades since that whole business. Time to let bygones be bygones. Me? Oh, now you make me blush. Of course I've had a fun time at the party, but a girl doesn't kiss and tell, you know. I turned the screen off with a sigh. I thought of myself when I was a young man, and I thought of Numa. I smiled. Oh, to be young, 
I said to the empty room. I noticed my finger had left a bloody smear on the screen. I wiped it off, then began cleaning myself. I stripped off my dirty clothes. As I washed myself, I noticed the scar on my right hand. It was pale, like the faded mark of a wound that happened years ago. There were other faded scars, but they were from the long gone past. Of my journey through the realm of Melchorisha, I could see no trace. It was only after I'd finished scrubbing off the blood and gore that I noticed a swelling on the top of my left hand ring finger. I looked closer and saw a black scalp protruding out from under my nail. I managed to grip it between my teeth and pull it out. I spat it into my hand and saw that the object was the tip of a thorn. Naked and clean, I walked over to the small alcove that was Talav's shrine. The heavy, knobbly stave that had been used to punish Bramlant had been returned to the alcove below. I nodded respectfully to the portrait of the Queen of the Universe and to the little figurine of space. I nodded at the little statue of Esbeth, but I also gave her a wink, she being the goddess of alcohol and licentiousness. I placed the thorn before her and prayed. I prayed for Numa and for myself. I prayed for my realm and all my subjects. I prayed for my brave troopers lost in hyperspace aboard the sage and troop carrier Omniblate. I prayed for the demon that she be delivered from her suffering. My most passionate prayer, however, was that Stembridge should never suffer the loss of his beloved Talav. Shanae.